Well, good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. This is the last time I will uh, be here with you and say that. And um, today is a special day for me to be with you. It's hard to believe it's been six years. Well, just shy of six years. Um, but what, what I want to do today is I'm building my thoughts. And it sounds, sounds rather, looking back on it, dour, final thoughts. But that's what they are. Final thoughts that I want to bequeath to you, members of this congregation and body. We're going to be reading, we're breaking from the lectionary, and we're going to be looking at um, Colossians, the book of Colossians. And we're going to look at chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 2 to 6. Now, Colossians uh, was written presumably by Paul. Colossae was a church located in what is today Turkey. Um, and the church was struggling with a couple of issues. And so Paul wrote this, this pastoral letter to the church in Colossae to address one. Um, there was this group of people that were Gnostic. That is, they, they were teaching that you had to have secret knowledge in order to be loved and embraced by God. Um, in other words, it's kind of like if you knew the secret handshake, you're in. If you didn't know it, you're out. Um, and, and the early church called that heresy. Uh, but the other thing going on was a devaluing of the mystery of Christ, the devaluing of Jesus as not only a man, but the incarnated Son of God. And so Paul was writing to the church in Colossae to address those two issues, and sadly, those are two issues that still plague the church today uh, in America. But what he does at the end of all of his letters is Paul circles back around and teases out issues he wants them to remember. And that's what we're doing today. Beloved, turn in your Bible to Colossians 4. Colossians chapter 4. And for those of you who aren't familiar where that is, um, it's way back there. It's right before Thessalonians, because everybody knows where that one is. Hear the word of the Lord. Church, devote yourselves to prayer keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us as well, that God will open to us the door for the word, that we may declare the mystery of Christ for which I am in prison, so that I may reveal it clearly as I should. Church, conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God indeed. Paul's final thoughts to the church in Colossae is evangelistic in nature. It's urging them to focus on prayer, not just prayers in general, but Paul is asking the church to pray for the Spirit's alertness among the people of God to be aware of what is happening and who is in their midst and what teaching is being taught to make sure it was of the Spirit. But it was also a spirit of alertness, of watchfulness to see, are there those people in the midst of the body that need touching? Specifically, um, Paul asks the church to pray for him, to create opportunities to share the good news of Jesus because, you see, he's chained up in prison. And he's asking them, have the Spirit open the door that I may proclaim this good news. The second issue that Paul is reminding them of is to be mindful. He's telling the church, I want you to be mindful how you, church, present yourself to the community out there. He realizes that people outside the church, outside of the sacred community, will judge the church. Will judge the church, not only the church, but more importantly, will judge Jesus by how you and I as church act. By what you and I as church do, say, don't do, don't say. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, the message, has verse 5 and 6 read this way. He says, use your heads. As you live and work among outsiders, don't miss a trick. Make the most of every opportunity. Be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in conversation. Not put them down. Not cut them out. Friends, American Christianity, insert church, provides two good contemporary examples of the church's utter failure to make the most of the opportunity and to season its message with grace. This summer, our sisters and brothers in the Southern Baptist Convention made the declaration that women in the church can be seen but not heard. Women can teach Sunday school, they can change diapers, they can work in the nursery, but God forbid they stand in the pulpit and declare the gospel. And churches that allow a woman to do that, they are kicked out of the Baptist convention. Oh, that's a real solid witness for women, isn't it? That's forward thinking, isn't it? The other scenario where, frankly, the church has just landed flat on its face and has not used seasoned words of grace and has not conducted itself wisely with the world is with the gay community. The church for century has exchanged the winsome words of love and Christ's reconciling work for words that build walls 
of exclusion, words of hatred. There have been former pastors of this church who had the gall to look at a man, a gay man, in the eyes who was a member of this church and say, you need to leave this church. There's no room for your kind. That's tragic. And when this man shared this with me, my heart shattered. That is not making the most of the opportunity. That is not using gracious, seasoned words to build up. When I heard this man's story, I I was weeping inside. What does it communicate to the world, beloved, when the church says it will welcome the broken, it will welcome the homeless, it will welcome the sick, it will welcome the aged, it will welcome the migrant, but by God, if you're gay, don't bother coming. That's a problem. I thank God those days are over here. One of the things I leave, I leave here grateful for, is that under our time together, notice I said our time together, First Presbyterian Church has become a welcoming and affirming congregation for all of God's children. Amen? We are a church whose members, gay members, straight members, whatever members, are following behind the banner, the flag of Jesus Christ. Because that, my friends, is the flag that matters. We move together in a wake created by our movement forward. And as we do, we learn to love one another, to understand one another, to raise hell out there with one another. So these are some of Paul's final thoughts to the church in Colossae. Colossae. I want to offer you, my beloved, my final thoughts to you. I want you to to leave today knowing that which I have tried to teach you over the last several years. Whether or not you were aware of it, for the last almost six years, I have been subliminally sharing the core values I wanted you to marinate in without even knowing it. If you were astute, you would have realized I do things differently as a preacher. And as Paul spoke of seasoning our words with salt, I want to share with you six different seasonings I have pulled off the shelf and have put on you as you marinate in Jesus. This is how I want to make the most of every opportunity with you. This is how I have tried. So the first seasoning I go to the cabinet and pull out is this. How do I start every worship service? Do you know? No. 
Holy Spirit is here. Each week, I begin our worship service by reminding us we are, enter, enter, we are entering in God's space, God's time. And we are to be aware, we are to be expectant for the presence of the Spirit in our midst. We are here. Shh, listen. God is going to do something this morning. Listen for it. I want us to prepare ourselves. I want us to expect that God is really going to show up and make a difference. And in order for that to happen, we've got to be silent. We've got to listen. The second seasoning I take from the shelf and add each Sunday is not only to listen, but then I remind you why we are listening and in whose presence we are listening for. In the name of the one who is, who was, and is to come, in the name of Jesus Christ, good morning. First, I call us to be silent, to remind us whom we're listening for, looking for. But then I'm reminding us that this time is about Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. This is God's time. We are not coming to church to learn six principles for spiritual living. Blah. We're here for Jesus. Jesus first, and then you might learn something about spiritual living, but you and I are here for Jesus. Period. We are called to come in the name of the one who is, who was, and is to come. The holy I am embodied in the person of Jesus, which is what Paul was telling the church in Colossae. Our faith begins and ends with the man from Nazareth. The third subtle value I've tried to instill upon you is that when we say the Lord's Prayer, we are to end it on an up note, on a high note, not a low one. The Lord's Prayer is a powerful prayer. It comes from the very lips of Jesus himself. Teach us to pray, Lord. And he says, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive the debts of others. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power forever and the glory forever. Amen. It's an up note. But so often, church, we pray it lacklusterly. Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Friends, the early church made a point of adding doxology at the end of that prayer for a reason. It's to end with an upbeat, a high note, where together we say, for the kingdom and the power and the glory, amen! Because we're expectant and trusting God is going to answer this prayer. Now this fourth, fourth ingredient that I add, the seasoning I add to worship every week is probably the most familiar. How do I greet you from the pulpit? Good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. I had a member at a church one time tell me, preacher, that's Hackney. That's Hackney. And I said, well, you know, maybe so, but at least you're included in it in the second part. Why do I say that every Sunday? Why? Is it to get a chuckle? No. I do it because I want those of us who are gathered here today who feel all spiritually high and mighty in our faith and remember you are just a, as much a broken mess as that person sitting next to you. Okay? And I want those of you who feel broken, worthless, unlovable, I want you to know that you are a dearly beloved, adopted child of the Heavenly Father. The church, my beloved, is a microcosm of the larger world, but save this one difference, we acknowledge who we are and who we need. And we know that everyone is equal in the need of God's grace. Good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. The fifth and sixth value I've tried to marinate you in are usually thrown in the rue and mixed up together. One is invitation. The other is blessing. I learned this from the late W. Frank Harrington of the Peachtree Presbyterian Church years ago when I was one of his 11 associate pastors. He was not the easiest person to work with, work for, even like, but he did love the church. And he taught all of us who served under him a lot. Frank would always stand in the middle of the chancel at the end of the service and give an invitation at the end every single Sunday. Now, we Presbyterians, oh, that's a little much, preacher. Ugh. Altar call, ooh, that sounds a little Baptist to me. You know, preacher, we're Presbyterians. We are above the need to belabor the obvious. I mean, we know if we want to come talk about Jesus, we'll, we'll come. We don't need to be invited. And what I've learned is there are very few mainline pastors, whether, albeit Presbyterian, Methodist, Lutheran, 
Episcopalian, the church of what's happening now, whatever. There are very, very few pastors that will invite people to contemplate and offer to follow Jesus. To even learn, what does it mean? It doesn't have to be uh, doesn't have to mean that Reed is going to be here on the organ and plays 15 stanzas of just as I am until someone finally has had enough and grovels down the aisle and said, I'm slain in the Spirit. I get it. I, uh, I'm coming. I'll answer the call. It's not the case. It's simply about a simple invitation to you that says I've talked with you I know you're weak really sucked you want to learn about Jesus if you are in a crisis at home or at work if you are in the depths of grief and that you are at your wits end I want you to remember Jesus gently gently tapping at the door of your heart. And he wants to come in and visit with you. Sit across the table from you. What's going on? But how will we do that if we're not reminded there's an invitation? In training younger pastors, I remind them that if they do this, they will speak to someone in the congregation. And they may not come up the aisle. They may call two days later. But by giving the invitation, people in the pew know it's safe to talk about Jesus. That this is a safe place we can learn about our faith and to ask questions. Always give an invitation. Now coupled with my invitation each week, the final ingredient that we add to the marinade is the season of blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord shine His face upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift His countenance, turn His face to you, and smile brightly, radiantly, giving you the very peace of Jesus Christ. It drives me nuts. It drives me nuts when I hear pastors screw up the great ironic blessing. They do it all the time. When they say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine His face upon you. May the Lord lift up His face and His countenance upon you. Oh, they're quoting it incorrectly. If you're going to quote Scripture, do it right. You see, they're taking a declarative charge. And they are simply making it a mere possibility. A maybe. God may or may not 
bless you and keep you. God may or may not shine his face upon you. I don't know. God may or may not lift his face upon you and give you peace. Ugh. Andrew Purvis, professor of Reformed theology at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, says that we have taken this declarative blessing, this charge, and we have made it a vacuous, optative, maybe or maybe not. We change the voice of the word. By misquoting Moses from the book of Numbers, pastors have blessed congregations with nothing more than a Good luck. Because God may or may not be there for you. I hope you'll find out just for yourself. Ugh. Beloved, every Sunday I want you to know, without a doubt, that you know, that you know, that you know, that as you leave worship, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit's blessing is definitely wrapped around you like a warm coat on a cold night, which I've been told I need to buy. <laughs> There's no maybe about it. It's a declarative. The Lord bless you. Spirit of God is in this place. Saints and sinners with a spirited doxology of gratitude and love. It has been a privilege to walk with you and to serve you in the name of the one who is, who was, and who is yet to come. And all of God's people say it. Amen. Amen. God be the glory. To God. Let's sing. What's the hymn number? I don't have a bulletin. What is it? What'd they say? Thank you. Now we can sing.